0: And this is the last in our series. Hope you've grown through this series and learned more about even some Old Testament. But more than just learning Old Testament history and what took place, we're learning how to apply these truths to our lives, how that we will serve as part of God's kingdom people. Our theme verse has been 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Aren't you glad you've been chosen by God? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's chosen you, set you apart, called you by name, taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought him into the kingdom of his marvelous light. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. And so what we're doing is we're learning how to rule and reign as kings and priests with the Lord our God. Uh, so we've learned a lot. We learned about what not to do from King Saul. Saul was a man who was spiritually dull. We learned early on that he's more concerned about his stuff and his donkeys and all those kinds of things than he was about serving in the kingdom. We learned that he was more afraid of the appearance of man and what man thought of him and how he looked in the eyes of man than he did in obeying the voice of the Lord God. And then we looked at the contrast with King David. Bible says, a man after God's own heart. We saw how he had faith to take down giants, and we looked at what faith is all about and how that we in the kingdom of God can be giant slayers. We looked at, we gotta have patience to wait on God's timing. God has a time and a place and a purpose for everything, and even though he had many opportunities to take matters into his own hand, he would not get ahead of God, and he waited on the Lord's perfect timing. We learned what it means to have a heart of worship, and that David was a worshiper and he had in his heart to bring back the ark of the covenant and we looked at what it means to bring in and usher in the presence of the living God and it's born on the shoulders of the people of God and as we rejoice and we praise and we magnify the Lord we bring down the manifest presence of almighty God we had a wonderful time that Sunday morning celebrating and worshiping the Lord we also learned from his failure we learned that even though he committed adultery, even though he committed murder. The Bible says God forgave him, and he found the grace of the Lord. And there's hope for all of us because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the good news is that no matter what you may have done, God is able to forgive you, and God is able to cleanse you. Amen. But the tragedy is this. Even though God does forgive, there are always consequences for our action. And there is a law, God's immutable law, that whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we found that David began to reap those things in his own life for the next 20 years. For the next two decades, he would reap bloodshed and calamity in his own household. And that's really where we left off last week. And last week when we ended, we found David crossing the Kidron Valley, crying and weeping as he went because now his son, Absalom, has come over, come into Jerusalem, taken over the kingdom and and committed fornication with 10 of his concubines on the rooftop for all to see. He was shaming David and now David is running for his life. Absalom attacks Jerusalem. David will flee with 600 men. And uh, his soldiers, there were 600 soldiers they committed to follow David, even though they have no assurance that David will ever take back the kingdom. And so for all they knew, David was done. He was washed up. He was finished. They would probably be killed on the battlefield. And yet there are still 600 who says, you know what? We're not going to leave you. We're going to follow you. No matter who else comes, we're going to be right there beside you. So I want you to stand with me. Let's look at our text today and pick up the scripture there. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 13. Baby, could you bring my water right there? It's down. Thank you. Don't know what happened to my voice. A lot of excitement on the kayaks yesterday and yelling and screaming and stuff, so my group went out. and Had about 16 kayakers in our kayak group and had a great lunch, and I must have screamed and yelled too much on the white waters of the Cooper River. Uh, (Laughter) Second Samuel chapter 15 and verse 13. And a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all the officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put this city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. The king set out with his entire household following him, but he left 10 concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at a place some distance away. And all his men marched past him along with the Carathites, the Pelathites, the 600 Gittites, who had accompanied him from Gath and marched before the king. And the king said to Ittai the Gittite. They say that, that rhymes, Ittai the Gittite. Say it fast. Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom, for you are a foreigner and exiled to our homeland. You came only yesterday, and today shall I make you wander about with us when I do not know where I am going. Go back. Take your countrymen. May kindness and faithfulness be with you. But Ittai reported to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. Wow. Now he's a latecomer to David's army. Gittites had only just recently joined him. And yet he says, Whether you die or live or wherever you go, whatever you choose, I'm there. We're going to follow you. David said to Ittai, Go ahead, march on. So Ittai, the Gittite, Marched on with all his men and his families that were with him. And the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley. And all the people moved on towards the desert. Let us pray. As we pray today, I want us to remember the family of Leslie Clark. Leslie Clark, one of our own ladies, precious woman of faith, great woman of God. Went home to her reward last Tuesday morning, early in the morning. So let's pray for Sydney. Let's pray for their daughter, Jessica. Let's remember the families. we pray together right now. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Your word is amazing. It teaches us, and I pray you will teach us from your word this morning how to follow, how to live for you, how to be a part of your kingdom. I also pray right now for some of our own church body, our own church family that are suffering this loss and heartache even now I pray for Sydney. I pray you'll wrap your arms around him for their daughter Jessica for other family members brothers and sisters God we just uh, celebrate that Leslie is home with you and she has received her reward and God that is our hope today and we love you God and we thank you for your word open up our hearts and minds today we pray we ask it all in your mighty name amen and amen God bless you you may be seated Look at verse 21 again. And Ittai replied, as surely as the Lord lives, as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King may be, wherever it means life or death, there will your servant be. I want to tell you, it is the same that is required of every disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be our heart today. Lord, wherever you go, whatever you want to do, wherever you take me, there will your servant be, even if it means life or death, I'm gonna follow you. Every time you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, those are the kind of things that you are thinking in your own heart, and your own mind, God, whatever it costs, whatever it takes, whatever you ask of me, whatever my life shall lead, God, I am gonna follow you, whether it means life or death, there will your servant be. Now, can we say that about our relationship to Jesus Christ, to our King, and to our Lord? Can, can we say that about our commitment to him? I don't know. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. He describes a little bit about the cost of discipleship. and In fact, this morning we'll be talking a lot about what it costs to follow Jesus Christ and what the cost of discipleship is really all about. Hebrews 13 and verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Jesus Christ was crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem. He had to carry his own cross. He goes up to Calvary and there they crucify him and they hang him. But listen to what it says. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we look for a city that is to come. I want to tell you, when you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you not only follow him in his resurrection, you follow him in his death. Paul put it this way, I'm crucified with Jesus Christ. I've been killed with him, and he says, when you make a decision to follow Christ, you also will have to go outside the city, outside the gate, you will follow him in his humiliation, and if we do that, if we humble ourselves, I will tell you, there is a resurrection day coming, but we don't put the resurrection before the crucifixion. I am crucified with Christ, but it's not I that live, it's Christ that liveth in me. In other words, we have been Crucify with Christ, bury with Christ, and then it says in Romans, we are raised to walk with him in newness of life. But there has to be that first death to ourself. We've got to say it's no longer me running the kingdom. It's no longer me calling the shots. It's no longer me in charge. It's no longer me gratifying every whim and desire of my flesh. Now I say, Jesus, you are my king, and you are my Lord, and I'm following you the old man is dead, the new man is alive in Christ Jesus. And that's what it means to follow the Lord. I was, uh, some of you were there, I, I remember when we were in uh, Honduras, and we were in La Sabá, and we were, had built a church there, and uh, Ricky invited us all to come to a water baptismal service afterwards, and they went down to the river. And uh, and uh, Denise Pryor was baptized then. Her son was baptized. A few of our own team were baptized in water there. And it was an exciting day. And, uh, but I remember Ricky baptizing the majority of those who'd come from the church to be baptized that day. And the whole church is gathered around the riverbanks and I'm standing out by Ricky in the water cause I'm going to baptize a few as well. And, uh, Ricky said something that kind of caught me off guard for just a moment. He, he starts out and he holds them and takes them and they're holding their nose and he's got their hand on him and he says, are you willing to live for the Lord Jesus Christ? And of course they nod their head and he says, are you willing to die for him if need be? They shook their head, yes. And with that, he said, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I baptize you. You put them under the water and bring them up. But the words that kind of caught my attention and caught me off guard are, you willing to die for him? We don't think about that a lot in America. It's really easy to follow Jesus. It's really easy to say the little prayers. It's really easy to get up in the baptismal tank and we say, hey, I'm glad you're following Jesus. Do you love the Lord? Yes. Okay, good enough. And bam, down and up. And we don't think about the willingness to die with Jesus. And we can say those words very liberally and very freely, but what would we do if someone had a gun to our head and said, you know what, if you don't recant the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to blow your brains out right now. What would some of us do? You know, if you were in a Muslim land or a Hindu land, if you said, if you identify with Christ Jesus and you're gonna be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through the, through the power of what he's done in your life, if you stand up and say, I- I'm standing for Jesus Christ, your family will disown you. They may take you out and beat you. And in some Islamic countries, they will kill you. Would we do that? Very easy, very easy in America. It's something to think about. And, and, and uh, Ittai says, you know what, whether you die, whether you live, whatever happens to you, I'm with you, David, every step of the way. I will not leave your side. And I want to propose to you this morning If we are going to be kingdom people. We've got to have that same resolve that I'm going to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. No matter what he calls me to do, where he sends me, what he wants me to say, I will obey, I will follow you. And that's the cost of being a part of the kingdom of God. Mm. too many fair weather christians follow jesus christ when everything is sunny and well and everybody's doing fine and wonderful and marvelous but they bail out when things get tough and so before we answer that question this morning are we willing to follow all the way i want us to first count the cost and the first point is simply this there is a cost to cross there is a cost to cross. And you see this in verse number 23 of the same passage. It says The whole countryside wept aloud as the people passed by. The king also crossed. Everybody say, crossed. Crossed, crossed the Kidron Valley. And all the people moved on towards the desert. Now, there was a stream at the base of the Kidron Valley. You have the Mount of Olives on the one side, and you look and you stand over the Mount of Olives, and you look at Jerusalem, and you see the city there and its majesty. But there's a valley in the middle between the two. And there's a little stream that ran down between the valley and between the, uh, called the Kidron Valley. And what would happen is the sewage of the city of Jerusalem would eventually make its way down and flow down that water as the water carried the sewage on away from Jerusalem and on away from that area. And when they would have Passover time and there were thousands of animals that were being slain and killed, the blood from those animals would eventually make its way down into the Kidron Valley and would be swept away by that stream. It is a picture of the place where all of our sins and all of our iniquities are washed away. I wanna tell you to cross into the kingdom of light requires that our sins must be washed away. There's gotta be that crossing over where we say, Lord Jesus, I need you take away every single sin of my life. And David cries and he weeps, but he crosses over that and symbolically, leaving his past behind, leaving his home behind, he crosses that little brook, that little stream where the blood flowed. In history of Israel, it's the place where the judges, the kings, and the priests When God would restore the nation of Israel and bring revival back into the land, Israel was always going back in idolatry, but they would take the idols and they would grind them into powder and they would go down and take them outside of the city. And that, uh, that idolatry would be washed away by the river, by the river in the Kidron Valley. Jesus crossed the same stream when he went up to Gethsemane. And you can see that picture of Jesus Christ as he's leaving Jerusalem and he's going to go up to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's going to pray and wait on God. And the Bible says it was, as he sweat as it were, drops of blood because Calvary was ahead of him and he would carry every sin, everything we've ever done, every pain, every suffering, it would be laid upon him and he would cry and he would weep. And so you have this similar picture with David crossing this very same valley. Mm. Jesus crossed over the repulsive, nauseating stream of human sin and human idolatry. It's the very same thing that David is doing on this occasion. I want you to turn to Psalm 69. Look at Psalm 69. Look, if you would, at verse number one. Many scholars believe this was written about this time in David's own journey. It is a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. You feel what David is feeling, what he's going through as he's been vanquished from his kingdom, and he's running for his life, and he's got this little band of 600 men following him as he weeps and he crosses the valley. My question for you is, are you willing to cross the Kidron to follow Jesus Christ? Are you willing to make that same journey to say goodbye to your old way of life, to say goodbye to your sins, to, to cross that, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Death with Christ always precedes resurrection life. Laying down your life laying down the knee in charge to let Christ lead and direct you and call the shots and be your Lord. It's real easy. We like to make him Savior because we don't want to die and go to hell, but are we willing to make him the Lord of our life? It is always Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If need be, are you willing to forsake all others? The Bible says, even father, mother, brothers, or sisters, whoever is not willing to forsake them and come after me and be my disciple is not worthy to follow me. Are we willing to do that? To follow Christ? To live for him? Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, New Testament verse about what it means to follow Jesus. Verse 23 Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Now he's prophesying about the great harvest that his death would ultimately bring. And so he describes it in picture terms, agricultural terms, that you put the seed into the ground, the seed dies. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose his, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. It sounds a little bit like Ittai, the Gittite. Wherever you go, David, I am there. I will follow you. I will serve you, whether it means life or death. And Jesus says to follow me. It's going to cost you something. It literally means laying down your own life, your own rights, your own desire, your own will, and you say, Jesus, it's you and you alone. We want to follow the Lord, but we want to still be in charge. And this whole series on the kingdom of God, of him taking us out of of the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of light is all about a transfer of ownership and leadership and lordship in your life. You are saying, I am no longer Lord. I am no longer in charge. Now, you are the Lord. Kingdom living implies he's in charge. He's in charge. So there's gotta be that point of crossing But the second thing, to do this, there's got to be a heart of humility. A heart of humility. Go back to 2 Samuel. Look if you would have verse in chapter 16. Look at verse number five. Now this is where the story really takes a dark turn. And uh, David's already crossed the Kidron. He's already made that escape. And now something begins to happen. As King David approached Baharan, the man from the same clan as Saul's family. Now, this is one of Saul's relatives. He's blamed, still blaming David for the, Saul's death. Came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, And he cursed as he came out he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones through all the troops and the special guard that were on David's right and on his left. So you get the idea, he's on a ridge above these soldiers as they're marching along and he's throwing down mud and he's throwing down dirt and he's throwing down rocks and he's cursing and saying all kinds of vile things. As he cursed Shimei, I said, get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed on the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. Now I want to tell you, David's already been crying all the way across the Kidron Valley. He's already down. This is the last guy he wants to encounter is Shimei. Right? I mean, you don't want to hear that. You're already down. You're already fleeing your home and your house for your life. The last thing you want to hear is, you man of blood, you brought this on yourself. It's all your fault. You had it coming to you. You deserve this. Here, have a couple of rocks and mud and cursings along the way. Look at the response of Abishai. Verse number nine, then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. (laughs) He was one of uh, David's board members. He said, we'll take care of that guy. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, pastor. We got this. We got this. We'll deal with him. (laughs) But the king said, what do you and I have in common? You son of Zariah, if he's cursing because the Lord said, said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? Wow. That's, that's very interesting. He says, Let me take his head off. And, 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 uh, and, and David says, Come on, man. You, you like the ESPN. Come on, man. What do we got in common here? I I am, I'm I'm crossing the Kidron and who knows that God may not be using Abishai to do something in my own life. When someone throws rocks at us, when they talk about us, when they get on Facebook, when they slander our name, when they spread it all out for everybody to see, and our name's on the line. What do we want to do? We respond like Abishai. We want to get even. Oh, you said that about me. Wait till I got wait wait, wait till I got what I got to say. And, and the tendency is to, to defend ourselves, to hang on to my honor. That we don't we don't deserve this. But what if God is using Shimei to bring about true repentance? What if I really deserve this? When the mud is flying, I want you to do something. Listen to me, church. Listen, get this. This is hard. When the mud is flying, consider that you may be wrong. Our pride our pride is, is so enormous that we never think that we are wrong. Nobody in this room thinks they're ever wrong. Be honest, guys. Look at me. I, I, am I the only one who, who feels this way? We never think that we are wrong. And if we make a mistake and we say something or we do something, it is always somebody else's fault. And David has this realization in his humility, and this is where you, David is probably, this is his greatest humility you will ever see in David's life. He said, you know what, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I deserve this and maybe God in some ways is using Shimei." Wow, unbelievable. Have you considered that you may, the part you've played in bringing on the attack or bringing on the problems that you are now going through? We often refuse to consider the possibility because our, when our pain tolerance is low, so is our teachability. Let me run that statement. I said that too fast. I didn't get a lot of shouts here. Let me say it slower. When our pain tolerance is low, so is our teachability. When we're running, when we're fleeing, when we're crying, when we're changing kingdoms, when we're on the move for our life, it's in those moments that we are also most often the least teachable. We all like to imagine we're humble and teachable until a rock comes flying our way. And suddenly it's all their fault never realizing that we may have asked for it. Now, let me give you the humility test. And, and just write this down at the bottom of your notes. If you, I don't know if it's in there. I'm just gonna give you the humility test real quick. The humility test is simply this. How quick are you to apologize? How quick are you to apologize? Do you wait for them to apologize first? First? Because he threw the first rock, he threw the first mud clod, he cursed first. And what happens is, and this happens in the church all the time, listen to me, somebody throws a rock at us, and and we're not going to apologize, no way, I ducked the rock, it was coming my way, it hit me in the head. Do we hunker down in siege warfare and we say, I'm not moving until he says he's sorry or she says she's sorry? It happens in marriages, it happens in families, it happens in the church. And we got members of the body of Christ that don't get along and don't like each other because both of them are too stinking proud to say, I'm sorry. And that wall stays there, and they stay split up, broke up, and the conversation is always about the other person. And this goes on for months and years because it's pride. It's pride. David says, who knows? I probably deserve this. Matt Keller makes this statement. Teachability is the ability to relearn that which you already know the ability to relearn that which you already know. It is hard to admit when we mess up, but constructive humiliation is the only way up. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so in the body of Christ, we have got to practice the art of humility and say, listen, I'm sorry, I offended you, I'm wrong, I did some stupid stuff and I thought some bad stuff and I, please, please forgive me. And if we'll begin to use that kind of language in the family of God, he'll draw us back together and then we can have the kingdom impact that he wants the church to have. When we understand God is in, now listen to this, this is great. When we understand God is in control of my blessing and my promotion, it is easier to remain teachable. Ultimately, God is in charge of your promotion. He is in charge of your blessing. Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can stop that in your life. God is in charge. When I understand that and I realize that, then I can be teachable. If the person throwing rocks and mud and cursing is wrong, guess who will work it out? God, your heavenly father. He'll he'll take care of it. He'll he'll deal with it. Turn to 2 Samuel 16. Look look at verse 11 to 14. Let's pick up the story there. David said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, who is of my own flesh is trying to take my life. How much more this than this Benjamin? In other words, if Absalom's out to kill me, you know, why worry about a Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I have received today. In other words, God will promote me, God will bless me, God will take care of me. Leave him alone. Paul Paul put it this way, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and dominions, and we get our eyes on flesh and blood. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him, showering him with dirt, and look at this. And the king and all the people with him arrived at their destination. You're gonna get there, don't worry about what people say or do. They arrived at their destination exhausted, And there he refreshed himself. In other words, David would endure the rocks because God was working out his purposes. And when he arrives at his destination, what does he do? He takes a nice bath and he gets all the mud off. Listen, you go to the Lord, you go to Jesus, you give the mud to him, you give the rocks to him, you give the junk to him, give it to Jesus and refresh yourself in the Lord. God will take care of us. This is good preaching, people. Get this down. Do not, do not, do not miss this. Forgiveness is not letting people off the hook. Because we learned last week whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And there are consequences for our actions. Forgiveness is letting people off your hook and putting them on God's hook. God would deal with Saul in the early days, and later he would deal with Shimei. God will handle it. God will deal with it. Give it to God. Let God take care of it. And you say, Pastor, why do I leave it to God? Why can't I just pick up a rock or a mud clot and chunk it back? I mean, I got a good right arm. I can hit him on the hill. He's thrown a ton at me. At least let me get one rock in, Right? Why? First of all, number one, God is the smarter agent of justice. Would you say God is a better judge than we are? He knows what he's doing. And number two, God has great exploits for you to accomplish and forgiveness liberates you to do greater works in the kingdom of God. It's about you. And when you release it, and when you let it go, and when you forgive, you are setting yourself up for God's blessing, God's promotion. Who knows that maybe through all of these rocks and stones and cursing, who knows that God may bless me and be good to me because of what Shimei has done. Wow. Promotion always comes from the Lord. Blessing comes from God, and who knows? Rock comes your way, someone tweets something about you, someone says something about you, you begin to pray for those who despitefully use you, and God begins to do something in your own heart and life, and you set yourself up for future kingdom work and kingdom blessing. It is awesome. Mm. Listen to Acts 13, 36. David served God's purposes in his own generation. Turn to Psalm 62. Psalm 62, real quick. I gotta go fast because we're gonna take communion. We're gonna gather around the table of the Lord. We're gonna celebrate what Christ has done for us. Psalm 62, verse 5. Find rest, my soul, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart to him. For God is our refuge. Great advice. Eventually Absalom is killed in the battlefield. I don't have time. This story is so interesting. And we're got it. I could preach on David and Saul and Absalom for months, but Eventually, Absalom is killed on the battlefield and the rebellion is crushed. Absalom erects a monument for himself. And he gets to the end of his days and he's going to erect this big monument so they can all honor Absalom forever and ever. It was, a, it was uh, something he had built. They take that monument after Absalom is killed. There is a, uh, Joab thrust a spear through his heart. After he is dead and, they, and killed, and uh, they take him and they take that monument and they bury him in his own monuments. And so they take the stones and the rubble, and they, he's buried. And so now all you have in remembrance of Absalom is a pile of rocks. David returns back to Jerusalem. He's going to cross the Jordan to repossess the kingdom. And as he's getting ready to cross the Jordan, guess who falls at David's feet and begs for forgiveness? Good old Shimei. He's right. Oh, David, I knew you were going to do it all the time. Yet I, I believed in you. You're my man. I'm with you now, we're here. Let me come into your kingdom. I I just pelted you with rocks and mud and cursing, but right now he falls at his feet and he begs for forgiveness. And Abishai, (laughs) love this board member, says, let's kill him. (laughs) And you have a lot of friends. Listen to me, here's what happens. When someone throws rocks and mud at you, Sometimes your friends will jump in, they will begin to bear your offense, and them bearing your offense becomes worse than you were ever offended. It happens all the time. And they're ready to jump on the bandwagon and take up your cause. And usually they only stir things up and make matters worse. And it just spreads the gossip. It spreads the lies. It spreads the stuff. The camps begin to grow. And I'm on this side and I'm on this side. Listen to David's response again. Go back to 2 Samuel. Look at chapter 19, verse 23. He has now come back into the kingdom. 19 and verse 22. And David replied, what do you and I have in common, you son of Zariah? Kind of the same thing he said before. This day you've become my adversary. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I not know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on an oath. Now I want to be just a little bit transparent with this body right here for just a moment. And please bear with me, and if you're a guest, understand. It's just... It happens. It's always painful when someone leaves the church. We've had people come and go out of faith for years. Most of them move away, and we, we, we say we love you, we miss you, whatever. Some, they just feel released to the Lord, and, and they move on. And, and yet, there have been over my 33 years here, there have been some who've left very angry, very mad, very upset. And, and, and what happens when someone is usually angry, their insecurity demands a following. And so they will want people to follow them and share with them in their pain, and their leaving, and whatever, because they feel like they have to leave and they talk on their way out the door. They will also, their insecurity demands that several other families go with them and they make some kind of statement. Now this hasn't happened a whole lot, but over the years, and 33 years, it is bound to happen. And what happens is though often on their way out the door, they want to throw some mud. And the, if you've ever been, and I remember as kids, we would be down in the lake along the shore or down by the water, and you're in the beach, and what do you do? The, the kids are always throwing the, the mud at each other. So they reach down, they get a scoop of mud, and they throw it. If you know anything about mud, it tends to spread out. And so you may be the target, but it also hits about five or six people around you. It is what's known as collateral damage and there is collateral damage. And what often happens is the idolatry of friendship, because that person is connected to somebody else, the idolatry of friendship trumps loyalty to a church family and the body of Christ. And so many people who weren't affected, weren't a part of what was going on, didn't know what was happening, they also go walking out the back door of the church because they have been affected by the, all the mud throwing, and they have been hit along the way. The challenge in leadership as a pastor and as leaders of the church and people in the church is not to respond like Abishai and talk about them and try to get even and try to defend and try to justify ourselves. We want to defend ourselves, and in order to do so, we assassinate their character in the process. Losing the ability to control our own reputation is probably the most humbling thing a leader can ever go through. Because it's my reputation. And so what we want to do is defend it, lift it up, bolster it, boister it, whatever the word is, build it up, And it can be a difficult cross of leadership to bear. But if somebody is gonna be any kind of leader in the body of Christ, you are gonna have to know at times your reputation will be smeared along the way. And in times of betrayal, what we do is we keep our mouth shut. And what I've often said is we bless those who leave, often they will begin to come back four or five years later and say, you know what, I'm sorry, never should have left. Miss Faith Assembly, can we come back? And then we're there to say, you know what? We love you. We welcome you here. You're a part of the family of God. You've always been a part of our family. And you're welcome right back here. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And the God of all greats, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm, and steadfast. After you've suffered a while, he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Listen to me, church. Promotion comes from the Lord. God would bless David with wealth and land and power. And he says in 1 Samuel 12 and verse eight, if this had not been too little, I would have given you even more. It all comes down to a choice. Absalom made his choice. His choice was to seek the kingdom for himself to build his own kingdom and do his own thing and bring about destruction. David, on the other hand, he is a broken man. He crosses the Kidron Valley. He's humiliated by Shimei, but he sought God's kingdom. And I'll tell you what, God blessed him. And Solomon would be his son. He would be the heir to the throne. And his splendor and his power and his wealth would even be greater. And he would rebuild the temple of God. But I will tell you, there is one greater that would come, greater than David and greater than Solomon. He He is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He would also cross his own Kidron Valley. He would lay down his life for us. He would die for you. He would die for me. He would take every sin I've ever done upon his back. He would give his life for us, and his name is Jesus. Now I want to tell you, you've got to make a choice today whose kingdom you're going to be a part of. You're going to do your own thing, be in charge of your own life, Are you going to surrender your heart and life to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Are you going to say like it tied the get tight? Whether you live, whether you die, whatever happens, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you, Lord. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. No matter what it costs me, God, I am following you every step of the way.